Hello, and welcome to the Rooted in Reliability podcast, your plant performance podcast, where we dive deeper into asset management techniques and know-how. I'm your host, James Kovacic, and I will be your guide to achieving industry best practice. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is here to provide you with the insights to improve plant performance and deliver bottom line results to your organization. In case you missed the last episode, you can find the Rooted in Reliability podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the reliability.fm network. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Now let's dive into today's topic. It is my pleasure to welcome Manjis and Yampe to the podcast. Welcome, gentlemen. Hi, James. Thanks, James. Great to be here. So thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. And we're going to talk about asset answers and really how do we get good quality answers about our asset and performance of our assets, specifically when we don't always have good data. But before we dive into that, I was wondering if you guys could give us a brief introduction to yourself. Uh, Jan Pei, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks, James. Uh, so my name is Jan Pei Chow. Uh, I'm the uh, product leader for uh, Assurances that we'll get to uh, talk to you about today. Um, my background is actually in both uh, telecom uh, and smart grid, and now in the maintenance and reliability industries. Uh, and I've been in uh, managing products for over 20 years, uh, based here in Silicon Valley. And so, yeah, I have a lot of uh, experience kind of uh, looking at brand new ideas uh, that can really kind of change the status quo for things and make things better. And very excited that, you know, Asset Answers is one of those. So very happy. Thank you, James, for giving us the opportunity to uh, share this with you today. All right. Excellent. Thank you. Manjis? Yeah, thanks. So my name is Manjish Naik. Um, I work as the services lead for Asset Answers, which is the product we're going to talk about today. Uh, so I have been in the maintenance and reliability field for almost 15 years. So so I have a lot of experience in terms of, uh, you know, really starting out with, uh, you know, your CMMS and building out that analytics on, on top of the CMMS. So I, I really specialize in that and have been helping customers uh, make sense out of their data, build uh, meaningful analytics on top of it. And uh, yeah, currently working for GE, but uh, I've, I've also worked for other companies in this field. So thanks right. again and, and great to be here. All right, excellent. Now, gentlemen, the reason why we're here is because I often see a challenge in, or, in organizations and it doesn't really matter what vertical it is. I see it all over the place. And it's really that they have data, but they don't have information. Right? And there's a distinct difference there, which you two are well familiar with. Um, and within that, they don't have that information because they may be missing a key data point or a few data points, or they don't know how to convert that data to information. Do you guys encounter this often as well, or is it just me? No, absolutely, James. And, and in fact, let me start by saying that this is kind of uh, nothing to be embarrassed about. Okay, We certainly talk to many of our clients, and they will always kind of start by saying, yeah, but our data is really kind of not up to par. Are you sure you can kind of derive useful insights, right? Uh, I mean, we've been, we've been working with hundreds of industrial sites over the past decade, and, and it's just uh, amazing how common this is. And like you said, James, like, across different verticals, right? It's not even unique to a particular industry. Uh, and a lot of times that data field is simply blank. Uh, and, and in some cases, right, the, even the right field that you're looking for is not even kind of a standard field that's out of the box with the CMMS. Right. And um, yeah, I mean, if I can add to what Yanpei was saying, right, we, we see this all the time and, and talking about the CMMS, right, basically, um, you know, like information about, uh, you know, how a repair was detected, 
or uh, you know what what kind of failure happened uh, you know what are the different failure modes a lot of that information is really missing uh, so if you really want to do something like you know i want to check the effectiveness of my proactive maintenance program so i i honestly don't have the data for that even the typical cmms uh, fields like sap or maximo they don't even have a standard field to capture this information right so a lot of the times it's not just uh, something that is is people related might also be system related or process related so we, we see that uh, a lot and 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 we encourage people to to get over that you know and and there, there are ways that we can help with that all right excellent now what are the main causes of this suspect data missing data what do you guys see out there actually manjis kind of started covering that right i think uh, suspect data you can pretty much attribute it to three major categories right kind of like the people Right, the processes and, and the technology. I guess let's start with people, right? Since data is entered by humans, there's just by nature, right? There's bound to be some data inaccuracies, right? So data fields that contain vital information, right? About how the asset failed, or what kind of maintenance activity was carried out. It may just be left blank, right? Uh, and if the people entering the data don't know how it's being used, it just feels like an administrative burden, right? To kind of do the extra effort to capture this information. Right. And in fact, that's the bigger kind of systemic problem we tend to see kind of beyond just kind of simple omissions. The simple is just not set up for easy ease of use and success. Right. Like, for example, there can be a comprehensive list of over 100 failure modes. Right. And then by the, when the technician sees that, they're like, OK, it's just too tedious. I'm just going to pick <laughs> kind of some generic statement. 100%. I had a mechanic tell me before he just always picks the seventh one down the list because no one suspects that. You know, he's just picking it random. Yeah, <laughs> right, the, the right culture there. Of, yeah, the culture of other and unknown, right? <laughs> yep, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and then, uh, expanding on what Yanpe was saying, right? So that was the people aspect. We also see that the process of data collection is not standardized across the organization, right? So, for example, uh, you know, each site might have their own uh, practices of uh, how they're using the CMMS. They might have their own accounting practices some may be capturing hours some may not be capturing hours you know some might be not using timesheets so what we see is you know the the data across the different sites within the same organization may be completely different uh, also another example of this is the functional location hierarchy right that that's a big one right how how you have structured your hierarchy in terms of the sites, areas, units, systems, subsystems, things like that. So in some cases, we see one site may have only five levels. Maybe they didn't do system, subsystem. Another may have eight or nine. And, and each level might mean something completely different. For example, level three at one may be a system, but the, but uh, it may be a unit at another site. Right? So it's very difficult now to to start standardizing that data and comparing against each other. So that's that's the process part, I would say. And also from the uh, technology aspect, the CMMS. So as I mentioned before, right? Maybe the right fields are not available in the in the CMMS, uh, but it could also be, you know, I mean, what is the goal of the CMMS, right? The, mainly, the CMMS is used to manage maintenance, right? That's the main primary goal. Maybe, you know, in certain cases when they were designing the CMMS, like we see this a lot, right? The goal of using that data in a practical manner to perform analytics and to understand you know where the performance of the assets is, is not good that was never the goal maybe when they designed it right that's why when the reliability engineers come in they, they realize that oh i don't have the right data i don't have the right fields 
maybe the standard list that I have in those failure modes is all others and unknowns. And that, that's what people are picking. Or it could be something very generic, right? Like, um, like I've seen in-process problems, right? Or defect or uh, breakdown. I mean, like when you have things like that, uh, it, it's difficult, you know, to have have that data in place uh, that that you need to do the reliability analysis. I mean, yeah, I can, absolutely. I can even up level this a bit, James. Uh, like we, we almost see like this. Like I think Manji's already alluded to, right? But we almost see like a chicken and egg problem in all of these, right? You got a technicians who are like, hey, I don't, I, I just don't want to take the time to fill things out properly because kind of why go through the extra trouble, right? No one looks at this anyways. And then you got the kind of analysts or centralized uh, engineers, right? Who are frustrated and look at because the data just doesn't give them what they want. And even if they get some data, they don't trust it and therefore they don't use it. And it becomes kind of this chicken and egg. Oh, well, you know, I, I, it's beyond my personal control. So that's just the way it is, uh, which is definitely very frustrating, right? Yeah, absolutely. Now, with that sort of chicken and egg, you know, do organizations have to have perfect data or can they get away with, you know, partial data, you know, somewhat accurate data, or does it have to be perfect to kind of really start this off? No, actually, you know, this is something that is usually the biggest impediment that holds organization back from utilizing their data, right? Everybody's thinking I need to have the most perfect data and then I can start using it to make decisions. But that's that's really not not how it goes, right? And, and maybe Anpe, you can add a quick point on that. Yeah, I think... Uh... I think about this, like, I think most of us are engineers by training, right? And so by nature, we, we just want to make it right, right? And we want to fix all the problems. And so every time you say data quality, that's what people are thinking, right? But the reality is such a vast challenge, right? I, 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 by the way, James, to your point, we've seen many organizations kick off this large data quality improvement initiatives just to abandon them like six months later, right? Because either yep. the, the normally the scope is just so kind of, you know, huge, right? It's just too ambitious or it's just not well-defined, right? And six months into it, everybody gets frustrated because they're not seeing kind of the benefits of all the extra work and then they stop, right? Or they go try something else, right? Um, I think after pondering this for a long time, our team came up with a you know pretty practical approach to this challenge, right? But basically don't boil the ocean, right? Don't try to get everything to be perfect, but instead define what's the purpose of this data? What are you trying to do, right? What kind of analytics or even results are you trying to calculate? And it turns out that for asset performance analytics, you can actually calculate a lot of the key performance metrics using a reasonably small or smaller subset of all the data that's in the CMMS. You don't need the whole thing. Yeah, and, and it's it's really, you know, what, what is the data needed? Uh, so, so first of all, what are the goals that, that you're working towards and what is the data needed to measure the progress towards the goals, right? I think that those are like, that. that's what you should focus on versus trying to make every single field in the CMMS perfect. Like, that's never going to happen. Yeah, and I think that's key because most organizations don't have the time or resources to try and fix everything and all of it, right? So they gotta be pragmatic. And I think, you know, if we have that that goal, we understand what the small, small subset of data is, most organizations can tackle those types of issues. Even if it's over mm -hmm. a longer period of time, they can start making those improvements. But it's definitely overwhelming when you see all the different things that are blank or empty or corrupt um, and you try and fix it all. It just doesn't work. Now, you know, leading to that point when you mentioned, you know, have that goal in mind, how do organizations know what specific data points they need? If it's, you know, optimizing PMs, reducing costs, whatever it is they're trying to do, how do they select the right data points? 
Yeah, that's a great question. So, I mean, what we recommend is first understand the goals of the maintenance organization. And I think you said a few of those, right? So in some cases, we might want to optimize the maintenance cost, right? Maybe the costs are too much, so we need to bring them down. But I'm not going to say reduce, right? I'm going to say optimize. That That's really key, right? So you, would, you don't want to cut back on, on a lot of those important things, but rather make more effective use of your resources, right? So optimize the cost. In other cases, it might be, you know, we want to reduce the unplanned failures, especially on critical equipment because they are causing production losses. So so what are your goals, right? First, first you need to think about that. Secondly, what metrics are going to measure that, measure the progress towards those goals? So for example, if cost is important, then I need to make sure that all of the cost data is in place. So maintenance cost information is really important. If uh, failure is uh, failure count or uh, mean time between failures, if that is more important, then I need to make sure every time the asset is not performing its intended function, I'm making sure that I mark that in the maintenance management system. Right? There is like in SAP, there is a breakdown indicator field, or uh, in other uh, CMMS, there is like a way to select that as a work order type. Right? That the asset actually failed so that I can start measuring my progress towards those goals. If my mean time between failure target is, it has to be 30 months for pumps, then what am I at today, right? And what do I need to do to bring that down? So it's really important to understand your goals and then you you understand what is the data needed. And then the third thing I would say is understand the quality of that data, right? So you can measure the data quality. So for example, how many work orders have cost on them? How many work orders I'm leaving as $0, right? So that can actually tell you whether you have the data that, that you need to calculate those cost metrics, for example, and measure the progress towards that. And then you can take a parallel effort, right? While you are improving your data quality, you're utilizing the good data to calculate these metrics and basically drive those decisions uh, to, to improve your performance and get towards and reach the goal that you have in place. All right, excellent. Now, as we're working towards achieving those that those goals, um, we might not have perfect data because, as you said, we might be parallel pathing it, fixing our data, and working on some of these challenges. Um, can we still gain answers into our assets using like the law of big numbers or something else like that to make sure you know we're still doing what we need to do while we're improving our data? It turns out that you can, James. Because and because our team is kind of very used to imperfect data, right? We spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to still derive useful insights, you know, despite of that, right? So kind of back to that same idea, right? Which is kind of what to focus on when you're improving data quality, right? We realize uh, same thing, right? If you define upfront what insights you're after, right? You can essentially work it backwards, right? And say, oh, if this is the insight I want, then this is the data I need in order to get to that insight, right? And everyone knows that reliability and maintenance is a never-ending job, right? There will forever be more issues to look at and solve than there's resources and people. So the key is really to prioritize, right? And work on the activities that kind of give you the best bang for your buck, right? Or, or the lowest hanging fruit. Um, and so if all you're trying to do is determine kind of relative priorities, right? Say, for example, which asset I want to focus the team on today, right? It turns out that you don't need absolute numbers, right? You just want to know relatively what's the value of working on one equipment versus the other. Right? You really don't need precise values anymore. You just want to know whether asset A's cost is higher or lower than working on asset B. Right? And then you can, and in that case, yeah, you can totally leverage the law of large numbers to figure out what the averages are, and that's enough for you to make a decision. 
This podcast is brought to you by Iridicio. Be sure to check out Iridicio's IBL blended learning for maintenance and reliability professionals. This SMRP accredited project-based curriculum will take you through all aspects of a maintenance and reliability program and provides you with all the tools you need to generate a 30 times return on investment for your organization and a set of credentials from the University of Tennessee for you. You can find out more at ibltraining.com. You know, we're using that in the meantime as we're going to fix our data, but there's going to become a point where we'll finally get, I'm not going to say perfect data, but good data. Um, when we have good data, how do organizations select the right assets to focus on then? You know, sometimes you'll see those focused on total downtime, number of downtime events or stoppages, um, maintenance cost, et cetera, et cetera. What's the right way to pick which asset we want to focus on? No, this this is actually a, a very difficult question to answer, right? Because this, uh, like a lot of times, people have different opinions on this, right? So typically what, I mean, the, what you asked about was what we call as a bad actor, right? Bad actor is basically an underperforming asset. So the question always is, what do, what do we call a bad actor? What is the criteria for selecting a bad actor, right? And we, what we have seen is there are multiple different ways of looking at this, right? So organization can always look internally while trying to identify these bad actors, right? But oftentimes what happens is this can be a limited view, right? Because you're only looking within your organization. So let me give you a quick example, right? So for example, if you're looking at uh, the most expensive equipment types, right? Within my organization. So you can identify that maybe storage tanks tend to be more expensive than centrifugal pumps, if, if that's what you find in your data, right? But this is just your view, right? Now, if you expand your view outside and look at the benchmarks, uh, and, and this is benchmarks for uh, asset performance against peers or other companies that make similar products, right? So you can see that uh, maybe peers are spending almost the same amount on their storage tanks, but they're spending half of the money on centrifugal pumps. So if you see that view, now you can realize that, oh, I've uncovered a huge opportunity here, right? Because I was focused on storage tanks because they were most expensive when I was looking internally. But when I started looking externally at other peers who are making similar products, have similar equipment like mine, I've actually realized that centrifugal pumps, I'm spending twice as much as those peers, right? So, so I need to look at what's going on there. And, and that's a big opportunity. So this kind of analytics is what we call the benchmarking based analytics, right? So this is not just your view of the metrics, but externally as well. All right, so how does this peer benchmarking work then? Are you collecting anonymous data to do comparisons, categorizing it by industry, asset type, that type of things? Precisely, James. Yeah, at G Digital, right, we have this product called Asset Answers, right? Well, we have been collecting maintenance CMMS data for equipment and their associated maintenance work order for over a decade, right? we take this data, we standardize all the codes and all the elements, like the functional location hierarchies across different companies, right? Kind of a lot of the challenges that Manjis mentioned, right? Then we actually do a data quality analysis and then identify which metrics, you know, you can kind of, you, you can have, you can make decision based on with high, very high confidence, right? And then finally, we calculate the SMRP metrics using this standardized and normalized data. So as a result, we can provide the company versus peer benchmarking view, all anonymous, of course, like you said, right, for all these metrics and identify the specific areas of opportunity that you want to zoom on. And, and to your point, you can do this against both, you know, in, we can even let you compare internally like site A versus site B versus site C, 
we can also help you compare externally against kind of similar peers to you. Yeah, and I, I wish uh, we could show live demo of the product, right? But but we are uh, audio only. So, I mean, visualize that uh, what Asset Answers really does is we aggregate the data so you can analyze the, it at different levels, right? And, and as you are saying, you know, we can look at a particular site, the different areas under it or the units, or we can look at it from the equipment classifications, right? So only compare centrifugal pumps with each other or only compare um, gas turbines with each other, right? So, so, and you can even go down to the manufacturer and model level. Um, so we have standardized uh, thousands of manufacturers. So for example, a FlowServe HPX pump versus a Gould's 3196 pump, right? So you can really go down to that level and you're not just looking at your view internally, right? But you're also looking at the external benchmark and, and making that comparison. And, and the biggest challenge here is the standardization of this data, right? So, and that, that's what we specialize in because every company is using their own code, every company is doing things their own way. So we have to standardize it and normalize it so that we can benchmark and, and compare. So, and this, this basically is just an easy way of finding those bad actors or the poor performing equipment, right? So you can actually look at uh, that, that, you know, annoying pump that cost only a few hundred dollars to fix each time, but broke than like, broke more than like 50 times. You know, it was, that's what we call as the chronic failures, right? So those don't surface to the top because they are like very small amount, but, but they keep happening all the time, right? It's like the same thing over and over again. So you can really kind of find those needles uh, from the haystack. That, that's what asset answers can, can help you do. Um, and, and you can even drill down at the individual asset level and, and compare at the asset level. If that makes sense to identify these bad actors. Yeah, absolutely. So if we really stuck to say ISO 14224, find our asset boundaries, the right tax on or right taxonomy levels or hierarchy levels, all those different things, you know, uh, asset class, asset type, all those different things were all standardized. This would be a lot easier to uh, do, right? Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> that that's the challenge, right? Uh, sticking to ISO 14224, but even ISO 14224 doesn't apply in every single case, right? So it's it's good for oil and gas, maybe not not that great for other uh, verticals. So they all have their own unique way of classifying. That's what we see, right? Which is the biggest challenge that like when we go in, even if uh, it's an oil and gas company, right? They don't always follow ISO 14224. The yeah. way that, like you're saying, the asset boundaries, in some cases we'll see, you know, uh, companies just go to pump, right? Only at that level. They don't go down to the centrifugal reciprocating. What is the type of the pump, right? In other cases, it might even be strange. Like it might just say feed water pump, right? That's that's typical in power companies. So it doesn't say whether it's centrifugal or uh, reciprocating, right? It says feed water pump. So the function versus the technology. So there is a lot of different ways of classifying these equipment that we see. And that's where the biggest challenge comes in, you know, when we provide these benchmarks. Like we have to go in and standardize that data. So it's it, it's a meaningful comparison. All right. And actually, now, kudos to the. Oh, sorry, James. Just if I can chime in a bit, we're kind of even talking about the more technical ones, right? Like how to classify equipment. And over the years, we see people have lots of questions about that. And we like to think we, you know, in some ways kind of cracked the case and found a good way of doing all this, right? But let's just listening to you guys, you reminded me of uh, it's, sometimes it's, you don't even have to get to that. Like I'm trying, uh, I remember talking to this one major oil company 
and talking to their enterprise person trying to standardize their data. And literally, he showed us, hey, Yanpei, guess how many ways we have of showing one year? And I'm thinking, what do you mean? And he literally pulled out his you know, big spreadsheet. And he, la he had like something like 30 entries, right? 365 days, 366 days, 52 weeks, 12 months. And, <laughs> and I just start laughing. I'm like, wow, okay. I couldn't have come up with this many ways of saying one year, but I guess you have. <laughs> Yeah, and, and that's the challenge. We're even within, like you said, not even companies, but sometimes within the same site. So fixing this data, like you said, we can start moving in one direction, right? Directionally correct, let's fix some things, but we got to improve the data to really drive those insights. And that's, you know, running both in parallel, I think is critical. Now, once we have identified those bad actors that we want to focus on, what actions do we have to drive those improvements? So I think how we design uh, our product suite, James, is Asset Answers is kind of like the diagnostic tool, right? We kind of help you figure out where the challenges are and we help you prioritize what you should be doing, right? But to your point, once you figure out what you need to be doing, now you actually need to take the next step, right? And, and we have a whole suite of uh, asset performance management products, right, that help uh, clients, you know, kind of actually perform that uh, or, yeah, improve that actual performance through things like, uh, for example, let's say a root cost analysis. Right, can be used to perform to uh, eliminate uh, chronic failures. Yeah, and actually, if I may add, right, uh, one uh, other thing that we we also do is um, the asset strategy is like the biggest thing that that helps you with that improvement, right? So, what what kind of asset strategy do you have in place, and does that make sense or not? So, we we actually provide another benchmark enabled analytic uh, that we call as the PM diagnostics, right? So, what we do is we are looking at the, the reactive count uh, or these unplanned failures versus the proactive count, which is the condition-based work or preventive maintenance or you know changing out belts, things like that, uh, for, for each of the asset in a particular type of equipment, right? For example, like centrifugal pumps. And we graph that uh, on an XY axis. So X axis is the proactive count and the Y axis is the reactive count. And then we use the benchmarks to break it down into three main, uh, I guess, areas of improvement or three main categorizations. So the first one is the insufficient proactive maintenance. So these are usually the run to failure type assets, right? And I guess the question we ask here is, does that strategy make sense? Or is there some sort of proactive maintenance that you want to put in place here? Because maybe run to failure is what you thought was good initially, but it's costing a lot of money now. So has that changed, right? The second categorization is suboptimal proactive maintenance. So this is where we are doing a lot of proactive maintenance and rarely get any failures. So does it make sense to do so much proactive work or can we optimize it? Because even doing like going out and doing a, a preventive maintenance task, task or a condition-based maintenance task still costs a lot of time and effort. So does it make sense to have so many or can we optimize them? And then the third, I guess, bucket is where we have an in, ineffective proactive maintenance program. So these are the assets where we are doing a lot of proactive work, but they are still failing in an unplanned manner. So the question is what kind of failure modes are, are getting unaddressed right here? So what are the current failure modes and do we have a proactive task in place to, to address each of the failure mode? So these benchmarking enable analytics can actually help you improve the asset strategy. Right? So that, that's one of the actions you can take some of the other actions that Yanpe was mentioning was do a root cause analysis, identify why the asset is failing, 
or uh, do a failure elimination analysis and, and try to identify improvements and implement the improvements. So, you know, we have a couple options here. We can look at improving our PM strategy. We can look at doing some targeted RCAs. There's a few other strategies we can put against these assets. Now, with this tool and with all the benchmarking data, can we provide an ROI for doing some of these activities? reason I ask, that seems to be a struggle in a lot of organizations to say, I'm going to fix the PM program, and then we expect to see this amount of improvement, whether it's cost, downtime, whatever. Based on all this peer-to-peer benchmarking, can we calculate that ROI? Actually, James, uh, you, you said it. This is It's amazing how widespread this challenge is, right? Even for people who've been doing this for decades, right? They're like, It'll be like, hey, Yanpei, we've been working on this, right? And yes, we know intuitively that you know doing this improvement or implementing this program made a big had a big impact, right? But boy, every time finance or my CFO comes and asks me, so what exactly? How much money did you save? It's like hmm, I have to go do all this analysis just to answer that one question, right? I mean, everybody wishes there's a simple way of doing this. So we actually implemented uh, something we call improvement tracker functionality in Asset Answers. Right, and, and and all it does is track the before versus after cost, okay, on an asset that you actually made some improvement on to determine the ROI, okay, and it, it, it's actually pretty straightforward. It compares the historical spend before the improvement versus the actual performance after, and it projects what it would have been, right, had you not made any changes, and it just tells you whether it was a good decision or not, right, and meaning hopefully the savings from that improvement outweigh the investment you made. Right, and so then you show green, right? And obviously, in the beginning, it might be red because you know your your investment costs more upfront, but hopefully, you yield you some long-term benefits, right? And you actually track this over time. And I guess the biggest thing uh, we help here, James, is that we we can track this across thousands of assets for you, right? so you don't have to do this separately on the spreadsheet somewhere. Uh, literally, you just log into Asset Answers anytime someone asks a question, say, "Oh yeah, this improvement I made back in July of 2016. Here you go. This is how much money we saved since then." All right. Now, does that also consider not just your maintenance expenses like parts and labor, but does it consider uh, downtime avoidance as well? So if we know this particular process costs us a thousand dollars an hour of lost opportunity, does that factor in there as well? So we can not only show improvements, improvements in maintenance costs, but also improvements in uptime. I think with uh, Manjis, I'll let you take this one because he, you, you have a lot of uh, concrete sure. examples you can share, right? Right. No, I mean that that's that's really the key thing that we should consider, right? While while looking at these, and and uh, I guess this comes back to what data is being captured in the CMMS, right? So, if if that downtime information is available, it makes a lot of sense to have that information in it. See, but a lot of times people don't track it at the the work order level, right? So wherever available, we we try to make use of that and and show that information because yeah, the maintenance cost might be in hundreds of thousands, but the downtime might be in you know, a million, for example, right? Or tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands. So the downtime is, is the much bigger impact. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, wherever the information is available, we try to go. I guess we really come full circle, right? It's back to data quality. Yes, we, we, we can track that for you, but in our experience, a lot of times that's just not there. Yep, absolutely. It's a challenge. And, you know, sometimes I see organizations, they're focused on the maintenance cost but they either don't have a number for what every hour of downtime costs or whatever point of OEE costs, they don't have those financial numbers. So then they never, they don't track those. They ignore those costs and focus solely just on the maintenance thing. Like you said, it's a data quality question. Right. So with that being said, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, understanding our data, 
using our data and peer benchmarking, coming up with some strategies, closing loop and actually monitoring our improvements in ROI, you know, that's a high level of what Asset Answers gives us. Now, we talk about these various aspects. What do you, what's the one thing you want our listeners to take away from the conversation today? Do you, they need to go think about something? Do you got a little homework activity for them? You know, what do you want them to take away from this? Well, is it okay if there are two things? <laughs> yes, absolutely. No, actually, so, so I mean, yeah, if, if I can leave the user, uh, listeners with this, right? Um, everyone has data quality issues and, and that, that shouldn't stop anybody from using the data in practical ways to make decisions. That's what the number one thing I would say. Uh, like, like we said, you know, don't boil the ocean, focus on the data you need and don't let the, some, some parts of the data which might not be as good in data quality hamper you from making use of the data that is good and ready to go. Right? So, so don't wait for the data to get perfect start using it in practical ways. And then the second thing I would like to say is uh, these benchmark enabled analytics really provide you with that perspective that can benefit your organization, right? In determining the right areas to focus to effectively spend your very limited resources. All right, excellent. Yanpei, do you got anything you want to add to you? Give, make, it, make it a nice even three? <laughs> I think Manjis hit the hit hit the big ones. Um, I, I think the the one other aspect I want to add is uh, I think um, yeah the term benchmarking right for better or worse connotes. I, I think people have been doing it for many years and there's that perception that hey that, that's what benchmarking is good for right. It tells me where I'm at and it tells me how other people are at. And sometimes it even kind of becomes a competitor, right? Oh, I'm 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 above average. I'm I'm below average, right? It's embarrassing, right? Uh, and 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 when when that's how if you view that exercise through that lens, then it's literally something you do once a year, if even that, right? Because honestly, how how useful is that information? I mean, it's good to know, but it's not very actionable, right? And and so uh, you today you kind of heard a lot of examples we gave. Uh, James, but we that's what we call it benchmark enabled analytics, right? To us, benchmarking is kind of the baseline to help you get those insights, but we try really hard to go to the next level, right? Which is kind of like, okay, and what can you do with this information, right? And so back to that uh, example of, uh, what is it, the storage tank versus a pump, right? Without external benchmarking, you would have made decisions to go storage tank, right? But which benchmark you're like, actually, hmm, I potentially stand to save way more money by using, uh, by working on the pump. Yep. Right. And so to us, that that's kind of that, that's what makes benchmarking so kind of valuable, right? When you can, when you and and uh, to use your phrase, the, the law of large numbers, right? When you can benefit from the collective knowledge to make better decisions, to, to us, that's what benchmarking is awesome for, right? It's not just for you to say, oh, okay, I'm at the 60, uh, 65th percentile, I'm good. Yep. <laughs> and it becomes something that benefits you every single day, every single week, right? That you use it. Yep. Absolutely. Well, gentlemen, where can people find out more about? yourselves, Asset Answers, GE Digital, all these great things that we've started talking about today? Well, normally I would say, hey, and this is the next three events, right, that you can find us at. Uh, but honestly, due to the pandemic, right, a lot of our marketing activities are a little bit in the air. I think we're still waiting to hear if some of those are either online or in person, right? Uh, but I think if you pretty much look for kind of the big events, you can probably find GE, right? Like the SMRP conference coming up. I mean, you can probably think of a couple more events. Uh, but but those, uh, yeah, maybe if we can come back to you with an update, James, uh, or folks can kind of just look, right? Uh, but but more pointedly, I think the easiest way to get kind of more information, if you like anything you heard today, right? Literally type in asset answers, right? As a phrase in Google, 
and you actually find <laughs> the, the some of the product uh, information in the GE website as well as some articles were written over time that cover a lot of this issue in more detail. Right. Yeah, and, and we will be at the SMRP conference in October. So if, if some of the listeners want to come find us there at the GE booth, we'll be more than happy to take any questions and even give product demonstrations if they want to learn more about us. All right, excellent. Well, I will see you gentlemen there because I am scheduled to present a workshop and a paper. So I will be there in St. Louis. Excellent. Nice. Looking forward to it. <laughs> now, my last question for you, for you guys, what's your favorite resource you want to share with our listeners, whether it's driving insights to answers, whether it's dealing with the data quality, the strategy side, what's your, what's your go-to resource? Yeah, maybe I can go first and then Yanpe, you can take that. Yeah, so actually there are lots of uh, books about reliability and, and metrics and things like that. Uh, but very few, I mean, they, they kind of take a very theoretical approach uh, towards this, right? But I found that uh, there is one particular book that I really like, Maintenance Reliability Metrics, KPIs 101, Keeping It Simple. Um, and it's written by Ricky Smith, right? So that that's a really good book that I find that they, they have actually gone into showing some practical applications of the metrics. And not just these are the metrics and this is a theoretical definition. Of course, the theoretical definition is really good to know and, and have that. So that's where the SMRP uh, best practices guidelines comes in. That's another one that a resource that I would recommend. Yeah, and, and in general, I mean, I think thinking about the practical uses, right? I, I really like the SMRP discussion forum because a lot of time people come up with questions there and there's a lot of good information available. So I, I try to participate in that as much as possible. All right. Uh, in fact, uh, listening to you, uh, that, that motivates me to want to go uh, work on more case studies, uh, James. I think, uh, <laughs> to your point, Manji shared some really good resources, right? But nothing beats kind of actual, hey, a company A did this, and this is the benefits they got, right? And so, yeah, actually, I, I, I'm going to take the action item to go uh, finish up some of those things that I started and haven't quite finished, <laughs> so we can share those with the listeners. All right, excellent. Well, I will make sure to put everything we talked about in the show notes so people can just click on it, take them to the link. If you finish any of those case studies over the next couple of weeks, let me know, and I'll put those in the links as well. Um, that way people can quickly access all the great things we've talked about, whether it's you know asset answers, some of the LinkedIn stuff, you know, um, SMRP conference, the book you mentioned, all these other things. We'll make it easy for them to get to it. Thank Perfect. You. Thank you. All right. Well, gentlemen, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk through this with us today. It's great. Hopefully, we'll be able to bring you back on where we can deep dive each of these topics a little bit further, get in, get into the nitty gritty on data quality, strategy, ROI, all those different pieces. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to do that in the future. Absolutely, Excellent. James. Looking forward uh, it's to really it. a privilege being invited. Thank you. And yeah, we look forward to uh, chatting more. We have a lot to talk about. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you. I would like to thank you for listening and remind you that you can always find out more on maintenance, reliability, and asset management at www.iridicio.com and by following our blog. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is a proud member of the reliability.fm network. I'd like to ask you to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. It ensures the podcast stays relevant and is easy to find by like-minded professionals. It is only with your ratings and reviews that the Rooted in Reliability podcast can continue to grow. I thank you for providing this small but critical support. We'll see you next week when we dive into another burning topic with Rooted in Reliability, your plant performance podcast.